When is the illusion of control better than actual control? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, the game spotlight goes on two games for a compare and contrast episode, High Society and For Sale. Hey, Happy New Year, everyone. Hope the holidays were good to you. There's murder on anyone's schedule, including ours, so I'm flying solo today. No co-hosts. Uh, you might also have noticed that those sounds in the background, so unlike people in a cafe playing board games, that's music. For season three, we're going to be losing the uh, the cafe noise and using some music from over the folks at Ben Sound. You can find that at B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D dot com. Also, I'm doing the intros and outros, with many thanks to Eric Summer from the Dice Tower, of whom we are still a proud member, to be sure, and to P.T. Douglas on the other side of this mic right now, continuing to work his audio wizardry. All right, let's get down to business. We're going to talk about two games that came out within a couple of years of one another, back in the 90s, and are still popular so-called filler games today. A filler game is uh, lots of name that people use to refer to a game that doesn't take that long. It's not hugely involved, but it's good for passing the time when you're waiting for your fifth or sixth person to arrive, or when the evening's just about over. You don't have time for a longer game, but you still want to finish. You still want to fill the time with something that's still fun, and these are both very good for that. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about is High Society by Rainer Knizia. This came out in 1995, same year as Settlers of Catan. Here's how this thing works. The idea is that you're all aristocratic, noble muckety-mucks trying to collect status symbols. And there are these big, juicy cards with things like art and racehorses and castles and so on. There was an earlier edition by Uberplay that I like where you're all dot-com millionaires who got it just before they crash. So you're collecting various silly toys like race cars and so on. Basketball teams. The point is... These things cost money, but how much they cost depends on how much the other players are going to let you have them for. They're put up on auction. And the reason why these auctions are special is because each player's got a certain amount of money in their cards, and you can't make change. So you've got a card that's worth $2 million, another one that's worth 4 one that's worth 6 one that's worth 10 one that's worth 15 a 20 a 25 and you can't make change between these, which can get very interesting if you used up all your small bills earlier on and you want to make a small bid. And it's a typical auction type of thing for board games. It goes around the table. I put down some money. Next person can either raise or they can say, no, I don't want it. Next person can raise or say, no, I don't want it. But the thing is, if it comes around to me again, I can't pick up my bills and put down some different ones. I've got to add. I can only add, which makes the whole change thing even more awkward, especially if I can't seem to get quite the exact amount that I wanted. How badly do I want this thing? Well, you're going to keep going around until somebody eventually takes the thing. And then the next thing goes up for bids, and we do that. We're going to do this a certain number of times. It's, uh, there's a randomness in this game as well. There are these red cards that can come up that are particularly awesome, things that will double your score, or in one case, cut it in half. We'll talk about the bad stuff in a second. But once you've seen the fourth one, as soon as that fourth red thing comes up, game's over. We're not bidding on this thing. We're just done. And the player who has the most points worth of status symbols wins. And all those little style symbols we bought, they've got numbers on them between 1 and 10. You add them up, there's your points, there you go. What could be simpler? Except for one thing. At the end of the game, whoever's the least amount of money automatically loses. Now, in the newer Griffin Games edition of High Society, I like to say that this is because the revolution comes and the player with the least amount of money is executed. In the older dot-com version, of course, the person with the least amount of money doesn't have as much left to defend themselves against the IRS, so they wind up going to jail. Whatever the cause, though, you want to make sure that you don't end this game broke. As a matter of fact, you want to make sure there's at least one other person who's poorer than you are. Which, again, kind of awkward, because you need to spend more money than anybody else if you want to get these things that are worth the points. High society has this wonderful tension between wanting 
and not be able to get. Or, well, actually, you could get it, but how much risk is it worth to you? And then that randomness of not knowing exactly when the hammer is going to fall and when the game is going to end, that adds to it even further. Gives it to a point where, all right, I'm ahead now, but am I still going to be ahead when the hammer falls? I'm, I'm, I'm ahead now, but can I afford to let somebody else have something that might put them in a position where they're going to be ahead? Should I keep bidding to force them to go more? Or if I bid, bid more, is that going to force somebody else to just drop out and I'm going to be stuck with this thing I didn't even want in the first place? And then there are the bad things. There's actually three cards in the High Society deck, three things that will come up for bids that are just bad. One of them takes away points, one of them cuts your score in half, and one of them steals one of your treasures. And to get these things, all you have to do is pass. If you just decide, I don't want to bid, well, congratulations, you've got the bad thing. But if you don't want them, you have to bid. And as soon as somebody passes, they get the bad thing, but uh, everybody else is paying money to avoid getting it. As we all know, paying money is the way you lose at the very end if you're the poorest. How much is it worth to you? That's the question that high society constantly asks. How much is it worth to you? It's a game that I've always loved. It's good for three to five players. Great cafe game, super useful. I bring it out a lot. But here's the thing. High Society, among game player types, is probably not the most popular game in its class. In 1997, two years after the publication of High Society, Stefan Dura would release a game called For Sale. And it had a few things in common with High Society. It was good for three to six players, one extra, but a lot of people will tell you that it's still best with five, so they have that in common. It was also an auction game where players bid to get things that are worth points. But there are a number of key differences. High Society is a single round that lasts until a random ending, at which point we see who wins. By contrast, For Sale is two rounds, each of which has a fixed length. In round one, players take their money and use it in an auction not that dissimilar from the High Society auction to buy houses. So what'll happen is we'll take some houses from the house deck. There's 30 of them. They're numbered one through 30. The Big numbered houses are the awesome ones, the crappy little houses of the low numbers. We deal at one for each player at the table. And then the players will start bidding. One person say, okay, I'll bid uh, 1,000. I'll bid 2,000, 4,000, 5,000. And the bids will keep going up and up and up. And unlike in high society, you can make change whenever you want. You have a certain amount. I think it's like 12,000 to start with. doesn't really matter. The point is, as soon as somebody drops out, two things happen. Number one, they take whichever house is, has the lowest number. That's theirs now. And secondly, they pay half of what they bid. And that's rounded up. So even if you only bid a thousand, you're paying a thousand. And if you were the first to drop out, you are getting the lousiest card from the middle. So then the next person to drop out gets the next lousiest one, and so on. And finally, the one who is in at the end gets to take the best one, but they have to pay their entire bid. Yeah, and there's no way to get more money in this game. Isn't that nice? What you bid, you lose. So this is going to come. This continue several times. We're going to bring out another bunch of cards. The players bid. They get more of these houses. So by the time this is done, we're all going to have the same number of these houses. And the houses has numbers on them, between 1 and 30. That is the end of round 1. Round 2. We're going to take another pile of 30 cards. These cards are checks. And they're worth a certain amount of money. They're worth money in the millions. And this is what you get for selling these houses. And that's how you're going to win the game. But you're not going to use money to get those. You're going to use your houses to get those. And instead of an auction format where it goes around the table, I bid, you can bid higher or pass, you can bid higher or pass, raise or pass, and so on, it's a blind bid. Everybody simultaneously picks one of their houses, puts them face down in the middle of the table, and then we flip and see who gets what. So we deal out checks. We bring out one check for each person. There maybe is one that's worth $15 million, another one that's worth $2 million, another one's worth nothing. And each of us will choose one of the houses that we bought in the previous round. 
flip them over, one, two, three, whoever played the best house takes the best thing, next best house takes the next best thing, and so on. So it's not a question of how much is it worth to you in this case, it's a question of how hard are you willing to fight the other players to get something without knowing how hard they're fighting. It's about getting inside the other players' heads, trying to figure out what they're doing without being able to see what they're even bidding. Once we've gone through all of those checks, we will also have gone through all the houses. Everybody counts up all the value of the checks that they've gone, plus if they've got any cash left over from round one, that gets added in, and then it's game over and we have our winner. Unlike in High Society, which is a very tactical game, you can only really figure out what the best thing to do right now, For Sale is actually a less complicated game rules-wise. Than, than high society is. You just take turns bidding. There's no complications with having to avoid getting bad things. There's no question of finishing with the least amount of money resulting in automatic disqualification. None of that stuff is there. There's not even this uh, random end of round thing happening. Instead, we all know exactly how long it's going to be. We all know exactly how it's going to go. The only question is, what are the other players going to bid? And that's it. As a game design, for sale does more with less. So why have I always found High Society more fun to play? Now, you have this argument with any game player. They're going to tell you that For Sale is the better game. And honestly, I can't really disagree with that. But I've enjoyed my times playing High Society more than I've enjoyed playing For Sale. It's been years since i played either, to be honest. These, are, these games go back decades almost. So... I'd probably it's about time for me to revisit them. My taste in games has changed a lot since then, and that could be what it's about. Here's the thing, though. In high society, you have the illusion of control. That money that you have in your hand, that never hits the table unless you decide that it's going to, and you know exactly what you're getting for it. You know what you're bidding for. The only thing you don't know is whether or not somebody else is going to try to bid higher. So that illusion of control is there, and it's true, you don't know when the game is even going to end. If you're ahead, and that fourth red card could come up next, you're sitting pretty. But if it doesn't come up, then because of something completely outside of your control, you now have to face another round of bidding. You might wind up losing money and being the poorest at the end, or you might wind up seeing somebody else get more points and passing you for first place. Now, of course, if it costs them a lot of money to do that and they wind up being the poorest as a result, then you can still pull it off. But there is less control in reality. In For Sale... The control is very, very direct. It's like you bid and you get stuff, or you bid and then you drop out. When it comes to the blind bidding, you know exactly what's going in and you know exactly what's up for, for bids and you know exactly when other stuff is going to be coming up for bids and you know exactly how long this is going to go. And there's no question of the poorest player being wiped out. There is randomness in terms of when these checks are going to come up, but you know they're going to come up. If you've got some really great houses, you know you can save them for when the best checks come up. If you've got terrible houses, you, you can see exactly when you're going to wind up losing the least as a result of playing them. And if the lowest check isn't actually all that low this time, great chance to unload a crappy house. So the control is stronger, and yet, I always feel more lost at sea playing for sale because of the blind bidding. I know how much I'm going to bid, but I have no idea how much anybody else is going to bid. And the other thing is... In high society, it's all or nothing. Either you get something or you don't, and that is it. Either you pay your money or you don't, and that is it. Round one of for sale, you're getting something. You're definitely getting something. You just don't know for sure what it's going to be. And you're definitely paying something. You just don't know for sure how much. You're always going to pay something, and you're always going to get something. 
It might not be what you want. It might not be exactly the amount you bid. It might not be the thing that you're hoping for. And that makes it feel nebulous, even though you actually still have full control. You don't have to pass. You don't have to keep bidding. Well, you do have to pass if you have no more, no more money to bid, of course. But ultimately, the control is there. It just doesn't feel as strong. Second round of for sale. That blind bidding makes you feel really, really lost, or at least it can, because you have no idea how much anybody else wants these things that have come up. You have an idea, I suppose. I mean, if the very best check is up on the table, then somebody's probably going to bid their best thing. But knowing that, do you just throw away your lousy things? And knowing that you know that, are they going to save their best checks for a later round? That whole psychological element is really, really appealing to a lot of players, but it also makes you feel like the car is driving itself. You've lost control. Or at least has the feeling of lost control, even though it's still deterministic. I need to go back and play these things again at some point. Control is something that used to matter to me a lot more when I was younger, playing these sorts of games. I hated games of chance. I always felt that it was robbing me of the ability to actually play any time the dice rolled. And these days, I'm finding that I love dice. I love the randomness. I love the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen next. So maybe the old hands did actually have it right, or maybe I did. Thing is, you're not going to be able to know which one's going to be the case for you until you've played both of these games. And even though they are old in some ways by modern standards, they're both very much worth playing. Even though they're fillers, so-called, that's not a negative term, or at least it shouldn't be taken as such. These games are fast and simple and fun and very much worth your time. That's why they're still in print all these years later. And that's it for the Snakes cast this week. We hope you like the changes to the format, and don't worry, I will have co-hosts next week. At least, I hope I'll have co-hosts next week. Scheduling is, um, yeah. If there's a game that you'd like to see in the game spotlight, go ahead and tweet it to us, at SnakesCast, and keep listening on the first Tuesday of every month. We might be doing more game spotlight episodes this season. We enjoy them a lot, and we hope you will too. SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music for the show is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on this show come from the people in it and not the company behind it. See you next week, everyone. Game on.